you know, and when you go through the minor prophets, and I like to go through them, but it's exhausting. There's so much pain and there's so much judgment. I did it years ago, I think in the 70s, some of the minor prophets, and people go, all you pronounce is doom and judgment and gloom. And so I've learned to focus on the, the last part of the pattern. Hear, doom, prophet's reaction, uh, warning, judgment, hope. We see hope always in the prophets. And they, sometimes they just throw it in a little bit. Sometimes you have whole passages on it. Isaiah does it. Jeremiah does it. All the minor prophets do it. Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 1 and 2, he dealt with all the judgment. Chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, here's a shining light. There's hope. Chapter 4, there's hope. Chapter 5, you see that pattern. So here we are. Here's the pattern, and we've been going over this, but I want us to see the two verses. They're just crucial in the book of Micah. And so, in Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, uh, they're, they're put together in time. They don't always work out together. Micah 2, 12 and 13, these are two really tremendous verses that uh, for many, many years I didn't pay much attention to, but they really spoke to me, especially when you study the end time and hope. Micah shifts to the end time. Micah shifts to uh, the future kingdom. And he's saying here in chapter 2, verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. God will gather together his people. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. Um, There's a debate. Could this be when the Jewish people came back from Babylon? Probably not, though some people think it might be. Uh, very, they, they don't always talk about that immediate coming back from Babylon. Israel was taken captive, and they did come back. But most of the prophets look down the corridor of time, look to the end time, to the future. This looks to the future in the millennial kingdom. And he says, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold. I did check out that again this week. The word fold, fold or pen in Hebrew is Basra. Very interesting. It says Basra right there in the text. The, the term Basra, which is a literal place, and it also means the fold. He says, I will gather them like flock in the midst of its pasture. They will be noisy with men. There will be blessing and happiness as God gathers them together. God in the end time is going to gather his people together. And now we don't exactly know when this is, but I'll explain it. We do know when it is, but I'll explain it in the context of the tribulation. Then after a little time, verse 13 takes place. And verse 13 says, the breaker goes up before them. The breaker is a figure for uh, the shepherd who breaks open the gate and he will lead them, break out, pass through the gate and go out by it. So their king, see it's all parallel phrasing, the breaker, the king, or the future Messiah. So their king goes on before them, and the Lord at their head. So God will gather his people sometime in the future. Then he will gather them in the fold, which I believe is Petra or Basra. Then he will open the gate and lead them back to Jerusalem to begin the kingdom. That's what those two verses are all about. So in a context, now time is going on. All of a sudden, in the future, we don't know when, there will be a rapture. God will rapture us. After the rapture is what I call the time of confusion on the earth. There will be a great time of confusion. One man will rise up, and he will sign a covenant with Israel. That begins the tribulation period. That's where these two verses are taking place, in the tribulation period. They begin at the signing of the covenant, not at the rapture, as many people think. So look with me in Daniel chapter 9. The one who will, in the middle of that tribulation period, is the anti-Messiah. 
He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's the anti-Messiah signing a covenant for seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. So he will sign the covenant. Tribulation period begins. And in the middle of that time, he breaks the covenant with Israel. He stops the sacrifice and he starts persecuting our, our Jewish people. The Jewish people, Matthew, is given a warning from Yeshua. Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's the anti-Messiah in the future, which will be spoken of, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, let the uh, uh, understand, let me see, where was I? Which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So the tribulation period begins. Now, we begin, I want us to begin it, uh, just way, by way of review. Roman number one, what's going to take place in the middle of the tribulation period? First, the anti-Messiah will gather his armies for battle. We said this in the past, I just more or less by way of review. Tribulation period begins, the anti-Messiah in the middle of the tribulation will gather all his armies together to wage war actually to conquer the earth, to destroy God's people. And we see that in uh, the, Messiah, the false Messiah's victories. We look in Daniel, look at me in Daniel chapter 11. Then the king will do as he pleases. That is the anti-Messiah. Skip a couple verses to Daniel 11 verse 40. Daniel 11 verse 40. At the end time, the king of the south that's probably in the south of Egypt, will collide with him and the king of the north. That could be anywhere from Turkey and all the countries up north in Russia. And the king of the north, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and many ships. And he will enter many countries. Battles, war is going on at this time. He will also enter the beautiful land. The anti-Messiah will come into Israel. And he's going to make his headquarters in Israel. And he will uh, enter the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. All those on the other side of the Jordan River in in the land of Jordan, Edom, Moab, and the foremost sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. And he will gain control over the hidden treasures. He will wage war in the whole Middle East. And then it says... Then he will get prepared. It says, but rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his tents, and there's the key of this passage. He will pitch his tent, the royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will not come to his. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. He wages war in the tribulation period, and he sets up his kingdom actually at the place called Megiddo. Now, how many of you have been to Megiddo? A bunch of us. That's the mound, the hill of Megiddo. Right there is probably where the anti-Messiah will set his uh, troops, and he will get, get ready for battle. He will gather them all together to wage war from there. And he prepares for all his battles, his preparation we see in Revelation chapter 6. Am I hitting something? Okay. Revelation chapter 6. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings to come from the east. And I saw out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. 
There unclean spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the great war, the war of the great day of God Almighty. Okay. Is it my jacket? You stay over there. Let's see if that would happen. Okay, good. All right, we don't know. Okay. Um, so he, he's, the battle, most people think there's a battle of Armageddon. There's not a battle of Armageddon. Everyone thinks, look for the battle of Armageddon. There is no such thing as a battle of Armageddon. Uh, actually, he wages war from Armageddon, but he goes throughout all the land of Israel. He goes north in Turkey. He goes south toward Egypt. He wages war all along Israel, all in Jerusalem. He goes down to Petra. There's all kinds of war and skirmishes going on. Megiddo, there's no battle. It's a campaign. And that's what you have to understand. Now, you'll, you'll probably get in an argument with people and they'll think that I'm teaching heresy. It's a campaign that goes on for three and a half years. That's what's taking place here. And he wages war and it says um, in verse, chapter 16, verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. It's like a uh, interval there, the Lord's coming. I'm uh, like a thief, blessed. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So that's where it all begins. From Armageddon, the next step in the phase, trying to put these two verses together, he wages war against Israel and he comes through the land of Israel. As he's coming through the land of Israel, his battle just like in World War II, Hitler had many different battles going on. He had battles in the north, he had battles in the south, and the one battle that he waged war, which really was his downfall, is he waged war against all the Jewish people. And God said he would always preserve his people. But, and they said, had he not been so fixated on killing the Jewish people, Hitler may have had a greater outcome of that. But this anti-Messiah has the same thing. His focus is to destroy the Jewish people. He's waging war, and he's going to come down. The next thing in our outline, we looked at the campaign for Israel. There's two passages that speak about it. Zechariah 12 and Zechariah 14. It says, Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the people, and all who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. He wages war against Israel. There's a lot of battle going on. A lot of times I think, I used to think that Israel would just be sitting there like patsies and quietly, but they're going to be waging war against him as well. There's going to be a great battle. Many, many people, the enemy of the anti-Messiah, he will die, as, he won't, many will die with him. Zechariah 14 says the same thing. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem uh, to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. The Lord will go forth and fight for our people. So as the anti-Messiah is coming down for battle, he's going to battle our Jewish people. Some are going to stay in the land. Some are going to flee. That's follow along. That's where we are. Israel fleeing for safety from the anti-Messiah, leaving Jerusalem. They were warned. Israel was warned by the Messiah. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, it says, then let those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's the first key of where the Jewish people are fleeing. We're all trying to build up 
So Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where that fits in. Jewish people are warned, flee to the mountains. Also, we see they're going to be protected as they flee. We saw that in Revelation chapter 6, 12, verse 6. Revelation 12, verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that, the, that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. Anti-Messiah is coming down from Megiddo, comes to Jerusalem. Jewish people are warned in that time they will flee. They will flee out of there, and God says he will prepare a place for them. That's where we're going to, where the place they're prepared. They're going to be safe for how long? Yeah, that was all in unity here. Okay. Does anyone else have another way to say that? Three and a half years. Any other way to say it? Good. You're all right. It's all, everyone's in tongues. That's good. We Time, times, and half a time. Uh, that time, the word times means two times, and a half a time. It's three and a half years. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,200. They're all the same. So every time you read it in the Scripture, it's just another way of saying it. And God is going to prepare a place of safety for Israel for 1,260 days. And in Revelation 12, verse 13, it says, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child. And the two, uh, two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly to the wilderness, to her place where she was nurtured for... There it is again, another way, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water out like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood not literal water, a flood of army trying to destroy our Jewish people, in, going down to where they're going to be hiding. And, it's, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Yeshua. So, oh no, I'm, did I miss 16? I wanted you to hear see if it's 16. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up its mouth drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. I don't know what that means. Some people say earthquake opened up and they, they, the army went into it. I'm not so sure. I don't know what it means. But in some way, the terrain, it could be the terrain. One of the commentators says the terrain, the earth, it's hard to get to the Jewish people. They're going to know how to get through there. I don't know. But in some way, God is going to use the earth to help the Jewish people escape from Jerusalem where to? We don't know yet. I didn't get back to Micah 2.12. But they're fleeing from, to, from Jerusalem, and they're going to a place where the earth is going to help them. Israel will be kept safe for that period. Miraculously, the earth will help. God will help. Israel's safety, Isaiah 33. You are far away. Hear what I have done, and you are near. Acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified. God is going to deal with the wicked. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among you can live among the consuming fire? Who among you can live with continual burning? The wars, the battle, God's war that's going on in the tribulation period. Then God tells us who will make it through. He who walks righteously speaks with sincerity. He who rejects unjust, unjust game and shakes his hand so that they hold no bribe. He who stops his ear from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. 
And then it says where they'll flee. He will dwell, the people, the remnant, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be in the impregnable rock. So now we have some idea. God told the Jewish people to flee, flee to the mountains. The earth is going to help them. Anti-Messiah comes down, wages war in Jerusalem, comes down and follows them as they cross over into Jordan, and the Jewish people will flee. Micah chapter 2. This is where it fits. God will gather his people. Israel will be safe. Micah chapter 2, verse 12. I will surely assemble you sometime in the tribulation period. Jacob, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of the pasture. They will be noisy with men, rejoicing. This is where they will flee for safety. Now, I want you to look at the next verse. This verse shouldn't be here, okay? So let's get out of it, okay? Verse 13. Let's go to the next verse. Good, okay. Chapter 2, verse 12, God is gathering them. Chapter 2, verse 13 is sometime later in the tribulation period. I put it there because I wanted them together, but then I realized you shouldn't see that one yet. So, if you saw it, too bad. Anyway, so now, Israel's fleeing for safety. God gathers them together. When they're there together, the anti-Messiah is going to come down and wage war, and he's going to come to Basra, Petra, where they are. At that point in time in history, Israel is going to make a national confession and realize Yeshua is their Messiah. And they will confess. Now, it's funny because, it's not funny because in Matthew, Yeshua says, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back until you call for me to come back. Now, everyone, let me ask you, raise your hand. How many think Yeshua is coming back to the Mount of Olives? One. Okay. Anyone else? Two. Okay. He will get there eventually, but that's not where he's going. Where are his people right now? Basra. That's where he's going to come back to save them. Everyone's, oh. This is where he's going to come back to save them. We're going to prove it from the Scripture. He's going to save them there, and then that verse, he's going to lead them out back to Jerusalem. So God will gather them, and Yeshua is going to come back, and we see, but it says in Matthew 23, Yeshua says, Israel will call upon the Lord. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Baruch haba Yeshua left, and he's not coming back until the nation of Israel says, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Isn't that a nice phrase? Say it. Ready? Everyone? Does anyone know what that means? That's it. Right? The whole nation, Israel. Now, many Jewish people will die, but the remnant who believe, who are looking forward, who walk righteously with God, who will be led down into Petra, they will realize Yeshua is the Messiah. And they will say, Baruch haba, b'ashem Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see that confession, and we, we're going to skip over it. So you don't want me to take my shirt off now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Israel's national con- uh, confession is Isaiah chapter 53. In that future, in that day, in Basra, in the tribulation period, I, uh, the Jewish people will realize Yeshua is their Messiah. Now, that's, that's, that's incredible. That should be incredible for all of us. Because I labor day in and day out, much like you, and I share with Jewish people. 
and we get one-on-one. And maybe after a long time, a Jewish person comes to realize Yeshua is the Messiah. And the Jewish person says, I believe Yeshua is my Messiah. I'm separated from God because of sin. Yeshua died for my sin. I want to receive him. But here, can you imagine? The nation of Israel will accept Messiah. And I, I sort of like it because, I li- not I like, of course I love that they're going to accept the Lord, but they accept him and they call on this verse, these verses, Isaiah 53, that saved my life. Back in 1971, before I became a believer, someone read these verses to me. And we've read them in the past, but this is what it says in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 1, their confession. They really are saying, who has believed our message and to whom, have the, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He has no form, no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Basically, Israel will say, it couldn't be Yeshua. He was too plain. He couldn't have been the Messiah. Jewish people today argue with me all the time. Yeshua can't be the Messiah. That's your king? Someone who came on a donkey? The, someone who came, uh, who was humiliated and crucified? Who, you know, if I was, going, if I was God, if I was coming back, you know, I wouldn't do what Yeshua did. He always, it always cracks me up in the Bible. Yeshua always reveals himself very small. Nothing big and clouds and you know that's how I would do it. I'd have the whole world focus on me, get the cat, everything. Yeshua comes. He's in in uh, Samaria. He's by a well. His disciples are not with. Him. He's all alone, and a woman's there, and he's talking to her. And all of a sudden, she goes, "I know the Messiah is going to come." And he goes, "It's me." What? That, that, how do you reveal yourself? Do something. Do a great miracle. But that's he always does it small. And very small, and the Jewish people will say to uh, in the tribulation period, Yeshua couldn't be the Messiah. He's too plain. You know what they will say then? We were wrong. It was too plain, but he was the Messiah. Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verse three. Uh, no, I'm saying verse four. Surely our griefs he bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Actually, the next couple verses. Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 3, say he's too plain. The next three verses say he was punished too much. This one couldn't be the Messiah. If he was the Messiah, when, when he was dying on the cross, the Jewish people said, come down, come down. You come off, we'll believe in you. You know what we would have done. We'd, we'd chop right down, knock him out. and we, we, But Yeshua stayed up there. They, they, they would say he was too plain. They would say he was punished. He can't be the Messiah. But in Basra, you know what they will say? We were wrong. This one was so plain. This one was so punished. And Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open up his mouth. You say, no, he was too plain. He suffered too much. He was too quiet. Yeshua couldn't be the Messiah. But in that future day, they're going to say we were wrong, that he was the Messiah. Now, there's two passages that you've got to think of when, he, when the Jewish people are confessing their sin. One is Isaiah 53, but Israel weeps and mourns. It's a great passage in Zechariah at this time. In Basra, they're going to call out upon him, and they're going to weep and mourn because they're going to realize Yeshua's coming back, and they're weeping and mourning for him. Zechariah 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David. When Israel makes their confession to God, God will pour out his spirit on the nation of Israel. 
the spirit of grace and supplication, so they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And it says in verse 11, in that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem. They will all mourn for our people. Now, Yeshua's coming back, as I say, to Basra. And finally, I want you to see here, as they're coming back, Messiah's coming back to Basra, Jewish people are confessing their sin, confessing that Yeshua's the Messiah. The anti-Messiah is waging war on our Jewish people. Yeshua's coming back to Basra to save them. The great passage that I want you to see here that fits at this time, where they're coming in Basra, is the Lord will judge and defeat the nations. Isaiah 34. This tells us. There's two passages that speak on this. Isaiah 34. The Lord will come back and judge and defeat the enemy. Follow along in Isaiah 34.1. Draw near, O nations, and hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. This is when the Lord returns and defeats the enemy, the anti-Messiah. He's going to start it at Basra, as it's going to say. So their slain will be thrown out. This is the tribulation defeat. And their corpses will go up, give off their stench. And the mountains will be drenched with their blood. And the host of heaven will wear away. And the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their host will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. This is a picture of destruction in the tribulation period that Yeshua is going to bring about. Look what it says now. 34 verse 5. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon where? Edom. This is the land of Edom. Petra, Basra is in the land of Edom. It will de- de- descend upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat and the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. Everyone read the next verse. Basra, that's it. Lord comes back. Jewish people call upon him. Yeshua comes back, and he is a great slaughter right there. That's where he's returning. That's where the blood will flow, where he will deliver and save our people. In Actually, it says the sacrifice is in Basra. Uh, Isaiah 34, continue. It says, verse 7, Wild oxen will also fall with them, the young bulls and strong ones. Thus their land will be soaked with the blood, and their dust will become greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. God, the Lord, returns. So we get a great picture here of where Micah chapter uh, 2, verse 12 and 13 fit in. The Lord is coming back. The anti-Messiah wages war. Jewish people flee to Basra. They go down to Basra. God keeps them safe in the land. They confess their sin, Isaiah 53. They weep, they mourn. Yeshua returns, they say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, and Yeshua defeats the enemy. A great sacrifice in Basra. This is where it's taking place. The great defense. Finally, the last portion here. The Lord's great and final victory. Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 63. Always remember those two passages go together. The battle is at Basra. 
Yeshua returns, and he defeats the enemy. And the Bible says the blood will flow, as we're going to see in Revelation and here. Isaiah 63. We should have an idea now what, we're, what it's saying. Who is this that comes from Edom? Everyone look up here now. Edom is the land. Petra, Basra, similar. Same place. The pen is Basra. The land, is, the area is Petra. The Lord comes back, wages war, defeats the enemy. It says the blood, he has a sacrifice in Basra. Now it says, who's coming up? Who is this who comes up from Edom with garments of glowing colors from? Who is this? Everyone? Anyone answer? The prophet sees a vision in the end time. And he sees the vision. And, and Isaiah, I'm not sure what he understood or knew. All of a sudden he says, he sees a vision. Who is this? Coming up. Garments. Glowing. From the battle. Not that the Lord has such a battle. He defeats them like that. But it, the garments, uh, glowing colors from Basra. This one who is the majest, majestic in his apparel. Marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. The prophet says, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the wine press? Some of you might catch that phrase, the wine press of the fierce wrath of the mighty God. We're going to look at that in the book of Revelation. But who is this? Uh, with your garments like one who treads the wine press. I've tried the wine alone. And from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments. And I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart. And my year of recompense has come. Isaiah 63 verse 5. I looked and there was no one to help. And I was astonished that there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought salvation to me. And my wrath upheld me. Yeshua comes back and de defeats the enemy. I trod down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath. I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Then I looked and behold, Revelation chapter 14 goes along with this passage the same exact time. Revelation 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was like one like a son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. This is the picture of him coming back from Basra. And another angel came out to the, of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest is ripe, of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped, and another, came, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had the sharp sickle. And here's the campaign, the battle, the final campaign. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle, gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. 
This is the wrath of God at Basra. When he destroys all the enemy, he saves Israel. Now he's about to lead our people up from Basra. Along the final battle, which would go along with this that I'd like you to see, is in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 says the similar thing. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him, were following him on white horses. Yeshua comes back. Who's with him? The body of believers. We went up seven years before. Yeshua comes back to Basra, and the armies in heaven are the believers, the body of Messiah. We come back with him to Petra. We don't fight the battle. I don't believe we fight the battle. We're following him, and Yeshua speaks the word and destroys all the enemy. We, he himself is bringing salvation to the Jewish people. And it says, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he might smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he is a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. The Lord returns to save his people. That Now, where is Micah 2.13? Well, look with me. The Lord leads his people, Israel, to victory. Let's see. That's where it is. That's how it fits in at this point. He came down. He gathered the people together. They confessed their sin. They wept and mourned. Yeshua came back. Isaiah 34, Isaiah 63, the battle, he defeated the people, the blood flows, some say 200 miles. Now, you're going to ask me, where are those 200 miles? I'm not sure. Everything I read, nobody knows. Is it from Megiddo down to Jerusalem? About 200 miles, could be. Is it from Jerusalem to Petra? I have a tendency to think that. That round, one way is 100, one way back, 200, could be there. Some people think that that's, the blood will flow there. The one... What we know is the wrath of God is going to be poured out. He's going to destroy the enemy. He's going to lead our people. After the battle, he leads them to victory. Follow along here. 2.13. This is how it fits in. The breaker, the Messiah, will come. He goes before them. They break out of anyone where? Where do they break out of? Basra. The fold, the pen. The Yeshua comes back. He breaks them out and leads them up to victory as the blood is flowing, passes through the gate out of it so that their king, the Messiah, goes on before them and the Lord is at their head. That's at the end as he's leading them to victory, as he's going back up to Jerusalem to where? To set foot on the... That's where the Mount of Olives comes in, where he will set foot on the Mount of Olives. The breaker goes forth. Habakkuk has a strange verse that fills in here too. Follow along Habakkuk 3. God comes from Teman. Anyone want to guess where that is? Petra, near Basra, all that area. God comes from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is filled with His praise as the Lord comes back. And finally, in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight, for those, uh, fight against those nations 
as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, most of you have been there, haven't you? Who hasn't been on the Mount of Olives? Really? Yeah. Can you imagine being there on the Mount of Olives? It's quite a sight. It really is quite a sight. You stand on the Mount of Olives. Now, even those of you who have been there, you wish you were there now, don't you? I know. We always want that. We can't wait till we get back. We get up to the Mount of Olives, uh, which is on the east of Jerusalem, and you look down and you see the big golden dome that won't be there eventually, and you see the Temple Mount, and that's uh, Jerusalem's on the west, and then there's a, the valley in the middle is the Kidron Valley, or the Valley of Jehoshaphat, where the Lord will judge the nations when he comes back, and, he's, and you stand on the Mount of Olives, which is as you look at, and the Bible says, does it say it here? Do I have that verse? Yeah. Then he will go forth and fight on the... In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So half of the mountain will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. The Lord will split the valley and save our people, bring our people up from Basra. There will be others that come out of Jerusalem. He will split the valley. And right there in the valley... The Bible says, we're not going to turn to it, in Matthew chapter 25, he will judge the nations for how they treated Israel in the tribulation period. And the book of Joel says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the Kidron Valley, Yeshua will judge the Gentile nations how they treated Israel during the tribulation. Those that were righteous believed in him, that hid our people, and protected our people, it says he will be, they will be like sheep. He will put them on their right. Those who are against him, he will put them on their left. And he will destroy all those. The judgment will come place there, take place there. The Lord rule and reign, as we have said it sometimes in our liturgy, Zechariah 14, verse 5 and 9. You will flee by the valley. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. And the Lord will be the only one and his name the only I hope we have a picture of Micah chapter 12, 2, verses 12 and 13. God will gather his remnant. Before he gathers them, the tribulation period will begin. Anti-Messiah will wage war. Gather his troops. Gather his troops. Have many skirmishes and battles. He will fight another battle coming down, I should say, coming up to Jerusalem. He comes up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the Jewish people, flee to Petra. He pursues them for about three and a half years Jewish people are protected. Finally, at some point, they will realize Yeshua is their Messiah. They will call upon him. They will recite probably Isaiah chapter 53. Zechariah says they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. At that point, Yeshua returns. That's where Isaiah 34, Isaiah 63 fit in. He returns and defeats all the enemies. And the blood will flow then he will open up the pen, release our Jewish people, take them, bring them back to the Mount of Olives. His feet will set, his feet will set foot 
He will set foot on the Mount of Olives and he will save our people. And then it says, and the Lord will reign over all the earth. Then we go into the millennial future messianic kingdom. The breaker brought us all up for the kingdom. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. And let's just think about God's deliverance of our people as he protects and watches over the nation of Israel. But only those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nobody's saved automatically. Those who truly put their trust in Yeshua today, before that time, before that great tribulation period begins, all those who say, I believe I've sinned against God. I've sinned. I believe Yeshua died in my place for my sin. I now want to receive him and put my trust in him as my Messiah and Savior. All those who do that, all those must do that, who want to enter into that future kingdom with Messiah. Maybe you've not done it and today you want to do it. You just say, God, I believe I've sinned against you. I believe Yeshua died for me. I now want to receive him into my heart and my life as my Messiah and Savior. If you say that, the Bible says you pass from death into life. You put your trust in Messiah. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for outlining your future. Hopefully we get it somewhat correct, Lord. We want to put our trust in you and thank you for the way you've laid out the scripture to us. We thank you for this, uh, your word. We thank you for the future hope as Micah uh, produced for our people. There is a hope yet coming for our people. And there's a hope for all those who receive Messiah. We ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We want to conclude with a benediction. Let's all bow together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In our Messiah Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.